I have been looking for answers these last few days. What is the endowment? The enrollment? Is it diverse? What is the ratio of teachers to students? What is the tuition and the financial aid? And yes, what is its rank? According to US News and World Report or Princeton Review or Kiplinger's. So my husband and daughter are visiting colleges. And I found myself at my laptop researching the numbers. Is it selective? Well, how selective? Is it highly selective, somewhat selective, very highly selective, exclusive? All the numbers tell us in some respect, if an institution measures up, is it good enough? Of course, we want our children to get a great education and to do well in the world. We want them to be prepared to face a challenging world and we want them to have success. We want them to be happy. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Confession is good for the soul. We want them to have really great lives. I have a lot of sympathy for the disciples. I want to be great. I want to be the best preacher ever. I want to be a fantastic, great leader. I want to be in the top 10 list of preachers in the whole world. I want to be great. Pastors are some of the worst at playing the numbers game. We get together and we're like, well, how many come to worship at your church? What's your staffing structure? All of this is to say, how big is your church? Is it bigger than mine? Or is mine bigger than yours? Jesus is always challenging conventional wisdom and turning our world upside down. And of course, Jesus students argue about who's getting A's, who's getting best in class, and mostly they are failing miserably. Lucky for us that they are slow learners so that Jesus can repeat his lessons again and again and again. To be great, to be first in God's class, in God's kingdom, God's world, one has to be a servant. Now, the Greek word here is diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon. Deacons were the ones who served the food. They set the table. They washed the laundry. They took care of the children. Now, in Jesus' day, with a poor rural community, they couldn't afford to hire servants. The servants were the women and children. Remember how Peter's mother-in-law is sick and Jesus comes to the house and he heals her and she immediately gets up to serve them? Well, these 12 disciples, now there are other disciples there, I'm sure, but Jesus takes the 12 who are all men and sits them down. Now, this isn't about men and women because all of these gender roles have changed. But at that time, Jesus takes the men the ones who have more power, and sits them down and says, you have 
to step down from your position of power and care for the least and do the service. And Jesus takes the example of a child, not because children are sweet and innocent and pure. If you've ever had a two-year-old, you know that's not the case. Jesus chooses a child because the children of the rural poor in Jesus' time, half of them did not live past the age of five. These are the most vulnerable, the littlest and the least. So, so service, yes, but that service even goes down to including serving those people might not think even matter. Now, all of this sounds just like Jesus. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The greatest is to serve the vulnerable. And isn't that wonderful? But today it is rubbing me the wrong way. Because I keep thinking about those who are serving the vulnerable today. And I think about Mabel. Mabel immigrated to the United States from the Dominican Republic, and for seven years, she took care of my mother-in-law. She fed her. She took her to the bathroom. Velma became blind at the age of 80, and she had Alzheimer's. She couldn't even remember she was blind. Mabel had to sit by her to make sure she didn't get out of bed and fall down and hurt herself. And God forbid if Mabel got up to go to the bathroom herself, that would be the moment when Velma chose to try to escape the bed. We all know these stories. Velma is patient and kind and loving, but she is vulnerable. And so many like her live in poverty. So when is a servant like Jesus says, or just abused. And I think about the people who are caring for the COVID patients. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we hailed them as heroes. Remember those days? We stood out on the lawns and people clapped when they came home and they were our heroes. They were serving the vulnerable and putting their lives on the line and they were truly great. And they are. And yet, they are doing things that no human being should ever have to do. They didn't go into healthcare to make decisions about who lives and who dies. And it's not as if they have a choice just to quit. Many of them have because it's just too traumatizing. But for so many, this isn't a choice. This is their livelihood. And so many of them have died. Is this what it means to be great? Now, our Christian tradition has a little bit of problem with this. Now, I have a book of women saints that I like to read. I like the stories of the saints. And I was trying to find a woman saint to paint. You know, I do icons. I wanted to get a woman saint to paint for my daughters. And I had to keep going through because 
saint after saint after saint had died a horrible death. They died in absolutely horrendous ways. And I was like, well, I'm not giving that one to my daughters. But there is this sense that one has to die as a servant in order to be great. It can be easy for us to see that as, well, that's a long time ago. But then how can we get caught up in that martyrdom? I think before the pandemic, it was easy to take pride in how many hours we'd worked that week. Well, I work an 80 hour week job. I work 82. I haven't seen my family for days. If you weren't utterly exhausted, you just weren't doing it. And we know that this is not what Jesus means. So I keep having to remind myself that Jesus never romanticizes suffering. He has told us that when we are holy troublemakers, we will ourselves get into trouble. We have to expect that, and that might be really hard, and yes, we may suffer. But Jesus never calls us to suffer for the sake of suffering. He calls us to serve. And I keep reminding myself that Jesus told his disciples was to be great because one had to voluntarily step down from the role of power to the role of servant. The kind of service for which Jesus calls can't ever be coerced. Unless you are a Sunday school teacher and Sue Martin called you, then you've been coerced and that's okay. Service has to be voluntary. And church is one of the places where we try to make it easy to serve. In this kind of voluntary chosen way. Now it's every church's mission to make the kingdom of God visible. Here we practice being the kingdom of God. That's what it means to practice our faith. We come here, we practice our faith. We sing. We use our gifts in service. We help the refugee in service. We pray for each other in service. We practice service here. And it's good news in that here, we don't have to be great by the world's standards to serve. Our degrees, our titles, our awards don't matter here. It's okay to take them off as you walk into the church and just leave them. I learned this in the women's circle from Ashton Ganella. Ashton served. She made egg salad sandwiches and iced tea for the circle meetings. It was her service. In the circle meetings, they cared for each other. They were there for each other. When one was vulnerable or one was sick or one needed help, they cared for each other. They served each other. Ashton died at age 92, and she'd been a member of the church for almost 30 years. 
but it was only in her death that we learned that Ashton had served the private secretary as the private secretary to Lady Bird Johnson. No one knew. That wasn't important in church. Serving each other, sharing vulnerability was what mattered. For this to be a place of service, it means that we know that God loves us simply because we exist, not because of anything we have done or not done. And I squirm sometimes when I speak about service in church because let's face it, serving here means giving up something else. We have to carve the time. And there are times in our lives when we don't have that time to carve out and we have to take a break from service because martyrdom isn't allowed here either. And sometimes we have to be the ones who are served because we get sick, we break bones, we are vulnerable. But then there's that question, so why voluntarily give up time, most precious time, energy, the things that we have, that we need, and Jesus says there's really only one reason. Maybe two. Because people need our service. But Jesus says the reason to serve is because in serving, in the process, that is when you connect to God. That is when you know Jesus. And I'm not saying that the people we serve are great. Sometimes the people we serve are Pains in the neck. Sometimes they are very unpleasant people. It is in the serving that we meet God. Jesus says, whoever serves welcomes me and the one who sent me. When we serve, we are in the midst of love. Now, yesterday, was the Sunday school teacher training. And I confess I had a really busy week and all I wanted to do was sleep in. I really wanted to sleep in. And I came to church in a very bad mood. And then there wasn't any coffee. But then I started serving, reminding the teachers that God calls and equips them I got excited about the curriculum, and I began to notice that the Holy Spirit was in the room. And as the conversation continued, I, I saw the Holy Spirit bouncing from this person to that person, and flying in this person, and flying in that person, and filling me, and moving out of me, and flying around the room, and bouncing off the walls. And I became more and more alive, and I knew in the serving, in that moment, Jesus was there. And it was great. We serve because we need to be in the presence of God. And you know that there are fancy ways to serve here. Nothing like getting to set up the home of a refugee. And there are ways to serve that nobody knows about. Praying, writing the card. There are things in between, decorating with the flowers. 
being in a circle, writing an article, bring treats for coffee hour, taking somebody flowers, there are a zillion ways to serve. If you wanna serve, you wanna find out about it, write it on a card, give it to the usher, give it to me. Those who are served are helped. And those who serve meet God. And again, that's great. Amen.